When I saw that uh, Jim and Judy McKay were celebrating their 65th wedding anniversary this upcoming Wednesday, I couldn't help but think of both of them and all the years of work that they invested into this local group and how I'm the beneficiary of a lot of their work, the influence that Brother Jim and Sister Judy had on me. I thought about today being the fact that it's Eric Grace's last day, him and Donna, at the congregation where they're at as they prepare to move to Tennessee, and that that local group is going to close its doors, that those two were essential in the work, and the other members there will find someplace else to worship. The McCallans are safely in Arkansas, and I thought about the lessons that Jeff has preached here and how he encouraged me as a young man to study and to prepare lessons myself. Uh, Rod and Joyce's house is sold, and that closes soon, June 7th. And, of course, we heard about Clemma getting ready to move on. And so this local group, which I think of the people that were here over 100 years ago, who decided to form this local congregation. And, and, and there's a lot of people who've been members of this group that we don't even know. We never knew their name. But Lord willing, we will see them in heaven if we're obedient and we're faithful. So why am I saying all this? This morning we're going to take a look at several examples of local churches in the New Testament that we might learn from their example. But that we also might realize that they had their own set of difficulties and trials, same things we have 2,000 years later, and yet the Lord gave them the resources to be successful if they chose to be successful. As we've gone through all these changes that have taken place here, and they'll be continued to be changes because that's life. I thought of last Sunday we drove by the Home Gardens congregation that once existed in Corona. I couldn't help but think of the Montclair congregation that existed and several members who went from Montclair to here. Other congregations in Southern California that no longer exist. But that doesn't mean that there once again can't be an increase in the number of local groups. We've had members like young Shane who's moving back to Georgia, who's going to take his faith with him, and will have an opportunity to become a member of a group there, or even who knows, all of us have the ability to start a group somewhere if we wanted to. And so when we take a look at the New Testament, it's pretty amazing how rapidly several local groups or congregations of the Lord's people grew. And these were groups, the intent always was, that they would be of the same mind. So if we start in Matthew 16, verse 18, we know that Jesus here is talking about what we call the universal church when he says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, what was Jesus referring to? He is referring to what Peter said when he said in verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was the rock. That was the foundation. And most of us in this building understand and proclaim that we are part of this universal body of the Lord's people. 
And I think sometimes we underestimate how large that number actually is. We look throughout the, the entirety of time. I think sometimes maybe we can be like Elijah the prophet who feels isolated and alone and feel like we're the only ones. I would urge us to remember that the Lord is capable of saving even today. His message is powerful, the gospel. And even though we might look at things negatively, and we might know of all the trends that take place in human history, there are still people that will receive it. And therefore it's important for us as a local group to remember what our work is supposed to be about. It's important for us as individuals to be a light to the world. That people could see Christ living in us. And in our daily lives, they could see that we're different and peculiar from the world. That we don't have the same anxiety that the world might have. That we stand up for Christ and stand up for what's morally right and true, not based on what society says, but based on what God says. Ephesians chapter 2, a couple references that we could make to Ephesians. And later on we'll actually take a look at the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So here's Paul writing to this group of Ephesus. And notice how it's beyond just their local group. He says, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That we have fellow citizens who are spread out throughout the world who believe the same things we do. And he says in verse 20, having built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So we think about the interactions we have with brethren in our local group. But again, we have other brethren who think like we do, who believe like we do. And we can sometimes again feel like there's no one else out there. There's no one else but this the people that worship in Ontario. Well, that's not true. And that's not accurate. We need to remember how far God's power has been spread. Same book, Ephesians chapter 5. And verse 25. This is talking about marriage relationship compared to Christ and the church. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And again, I think of Jim and Judy being married 65 years. Their example to those of us who know them of what God intended when it comes to marriage. And I think about how they interacted and their example and the partnership they had. And again, uh, what an example it is for me. But the fact that Christ loved the church, loved us who are called out, to the point that he was willing to give himself for her. And then one more passage, because again, we're, we're talking right now about the universal, but shortly we'll go to the local church. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. And he, that is Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, 
that in all things he may have the preeminence. So a reminder that Christ is the head. And if Christ is the head, as we could talk about in other scriptures, that means we're going to follow the direction of what the head instructs. And as we've talked about in Sunday morning classes a bunch recently, the fact that he's always about doing his father's business, doing the will of his father. And therefore you see a line of authority that is established. So it's not our church. It's Christ's church. He died for it. And therefore we must be respectful of that fact. So when we go to Acts chapter 20, we see a verse, which is an example of many verses we could turn to, in which you see a combination of the universal church as well as the local church in this sense. In this part of Acts chapter 20, we know that the Ephesian elders are being exhorted. And it says in verse 28, as Paul is talking to them, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. But he's talking specifically here to the elders at Ephesus. And since they were considered a church of God, a church of Christ, he essentially purchased not just for the universal church, but also for that local group to exist. And then Paul is going to warn them, as it says in verse 29, about the savage wolves that will come in. So again, the role of the elders to shepherd, to oversee, to protect, to make sure that that would not happen. The word church is from the Greek ekklesia, and most of you are familiar with that, which is made up of two Greek words. Ek, which means out or out of. Klesis, which means a calling. So the word church means a calling out. And again, you know the confusion that exists in the religious world about the church being the physical building. But the church is the people. The people who are called out by God. We're called out and we respond to that call and call ourselves Christians. So if you put the two words together, it means an assembly of called out ones, a called out assembly. Is the church of Christ that meets here in Ontario a called out assembly? In the hundred plus years of this group's existence, there have been many changes, many cycles, many challenges at different parts. Many that most of us don't know about it. We could refer to a historian, someone who's been here a long time, and get some picture of what took place. But even with those who lived through some of it, it might be hard for them to come up with what happened a hundred years ago. <laughs> here, exactly. But yeah, here we are sitting this morning in this building because of the efforts, labor, and work of Christians long, long ago whose names we may not know, who we never knew personally. I, I just find that astounding and fascinating. I also find it encouraging, and you might say, this doesn't sound encouraging to me. If you look at the New Testament local groups that exist, existed back 2,000 years ago, not a single one still exists. In other words, there's a temporal nature of the local groups. Now that doesn't mean that this local group can't exist 
long into the future. But it means that the people who serve there are not held accountable for what happens in the future. They're held accountable in terms of what they teach, how they bring up their children. But again, we know that this local assembly of the Lord's people, the intent is to get us into an eternal kingdom as we are members of the universal church as well. So those who labored hard at somewhere like Montclair or long at home gardens or other places, the Lord knows their work and the Lord knows what they did. And they are judged on that basis, not on what happens in the future. Romans chapter 16 Why do we call ourselves a church of Christ? And it's a simple point, but important point. Because we see groups who claim to follow God calling themselves all sorts of things. Paul says in Romans 16, verse 16, Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. So there's a plurality of these local groups that existed at that time. And remember, you're talking about Rome. You're talking about the center of the Roman Empire. We know how powerful the Roman Empire was. We know from the book of Revelation how evil the Roman Empire was. And yet it's in that environment that many of these local churches are going to sprout up and grow. It's in that difficult environment that the Lord's people were able to thrive. And the universal church is being added to consistently. So let's not get caught up in the excuse that, well, we just can't uh, function in the current environment of circumstances. We can't spread the gospel in these circumstances. When man tries to prevent God's will from being done, it actually has the opposite effect, as we'll discuss and see in a few moments. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, and we're going to go over this later on. It says in that verse, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, call to be saints with all in every place, call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So another passage which illustrates the local group in Corinth, as well as referencing the universal body of the Lord's people. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2 Acts chapter 2 and just a quick reminder of who was there on the day of Pentecost in verse 8 and how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born and then look at verses 9, 10 and 11 and think for a moment put your mind in being there on the day of Pentecost and all these different people from different parts of the world and what are they going to do after they hear this sermon on the day of Pentecost well we know as we're going to talk about in a moment those that responded but what do you think happens when they go back home they're taking what they heard with them and we know of examples where those who are going to convert people in places far away from Jerusalem where the first local church was established, but also the universal church. Now drop down to Acts chapter 2 verse 41. 
Then those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So we know there is anywhere from 100,000, very conservative estimate, up to a million people there on the day of Pentecost to hear Peter preach that sermon in their own language. And there are many languages there. And I think sometimes one of the mistakes we can make is we just say, well, okay, so 3,000 were, were added and that was it. But what's it say? It says 3,000 souls were added to them. And going back before that, it says, and that day, about 3,000 souls. What about the next day? What about two days later? What about a week later? Certainly, many of these people who were there responded to the gospel call. They may have not responded to it that day. Uh, do all of us respond to the gospel at the same rate? Some people might have responded to it right away. I say this with no pride at all. It took me several years to respond. And I was fortunate to have people patient enough to bear with me and continue to teach me, even though I was hard-headed and calloused. So I, I think we can look at that and just think it was fixed. We know that certainly later on that the 3,000 goes up to 5,000, right? Okay, continuing on in verse 42. So what did these 3,000 souls do? And again, we're talking about being at Jerusalem, starting this first local group, but also the start of the universal body of the Lord's people. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, with breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the what? The Lord added to the church daily, which goes back to the point I just made about on that day 3,000 souls were saved. But then it says in verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. So can we add to the church daily? To the universal body, but also in our community here. And we have an interesting situation too. We have people in this building who live in various cities. Some up in the high desert who come all the way here. Brother Campbell in Elsinore. Rancho Cucamonga, Ontario, Upland. Probably a bunch I'm forgetting. I know there's this distinction between Rancho Cucamonga and Alta Loma. I'll never be able to figure that out exactly where the, the lines are. But the point is, is we come from all over the place to gather this local group. You realize that in the first century, how difficult it would be for people coming from where the Tomlinsons come from all that, to make that travel? They couldn't do that in a day, like back then, because of the logistics of transportation. And, and so yet, with communication and transportation, we actually could spread our net wider than maybe in some of these situations. I, I just think it's interesting to think about those types of things. So I'm not giving you all the passages because I'm down to about 25 minutes. But take a look as I ramble these off, the local churches of the Lord's people mentioned in the New Testament. And I can give you the passages later on. 
in Pisidia, Syria, Athens, Babylon, which is called Mesopotamia. That just blows my mind because of all our study from Isaiah and the Babylonian captivity. Caesarea, Sintra, Colossae, Corinth, Crete, Cyrene, Damascus, Derbe, Ephesus, Hierapolis, Iconium, Jerusalem, Joppa, Laodicea, Lydda, Lystra, Pergamum, Philadelphia, Philippi, Puatoli, Rome, Sardis, Sharon, Smyrna, Tarsus, Thessalonica, Thyatira, and Troas. That's just in a period of about 60 years that the New Testament records. Those are all the local groups. In Acts 2, we read about how many local groups. One, starting in Jerusalem. And remember that we have to go to Revelation, which is about 60 years later. Many of these New Testament epistles are written within 10, 15, 20 years of, of the death of Christ. And then the Bible also talks about regions that had multiple churches. We usually think of like the churches of Galatia, Galatians chapter 1 verse 2. Region of Phoenicia, Samaria, Judea, Galatian who we already mentioned, Asia, and Macedonia. So with all those I rattled off, if we include all those, how many groups we talked about now? Now, we don't know the specific number. But hopefully you get the point. There were people who took what the Lord instructed them to do and they ran with it and you have local groups springing up. Can this happen again in our time? Well, that depends on what we're willing to do. God's power certainly has not been limited. And again, if you live in a different part of the country or world, you might get a totally different perception of what it's like. And I know, for example, when People visit the South and they'll talk about, wow, there's a lot of churches of Christ around. And I understand that each church is independent in some sense and not everyone's at the same stage. And as we make this point, we can look at the example in Revelation. Can't we learn from the examples of local churches, groups, congregations listed in the New Testament? I think we can And we're not going to spend too much time there this morning, but if you turn to Revelation, chapter 1, verse 20 says, and this is John John writing, this is Jesus speaking, and John has seen this vision on the island of Patmos. It says in verse 20, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw on the right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So here we are in about 90 A.D., And these seven groups are being written to, and they're being told two things. Number one, the victory's already been won. We talked about that in class this morning as Alvaro did a great job of leading us through that. And then secondly, is the fact that you can endure the persecution that's coming, no matter how difficult it is. But think of these seven groups and all the challenges they have, and how they all have different issues and problems. So, as you probably see in your Bible, it says, above chapter 2, verse 1, it probably says something like the loveless church. It's referring to Ephesus. And it's interesting in verse 2, 
they are commended by Jesus for doing some good things. But it says in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So a local group of the Lord's people can be doing right, but not doing what their primary function calls for. Can we be standing for the truth here in Ontario, but we've forgotten our first love? We've forgotten about our responsibility to preach the gospel to others? Then, starting in verse 8, it says above that, the persecuted church. And of course, we're talking about Smyrna. Verse 9, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. I just want you to think about if we had a specific letter written to us today, what would it say about this local group? Think about that. And what can I do as an individual member of this group to be accepted? Then we see in the next section, it talks about the compromising church. Verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write. Go down to verse 13. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So again, they're doing some good things. But notice what it says in verse 14. But I have a few things against you. So here is a group of the Lord's people who are doing some commendable things, but are also doing some things that are horrible and need to be corrected. Above verse 18, it probably says something like the corrupt church. Verse 18, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, and last are more than the first. Again, positive feedback. But then it says in verse 20, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. All different groups of the Lord's people, all in different states, all needing different things. We certainly need things here. And there's certainly changes and waves that take place in this congregation that we have to be aware of and that we have to adjust to. We might emphasize and teach one thing, but we might need to address other issues that we couldn't anticipate or figure out. Then, in the next chapter, chapter 3, above that it probably says something in your Bible, something like the dead church. Verse 1, And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These things says he, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, and you have a name that you are alive, but... You are dead. Can a local group be alive in name but dead in the eyes of Jesus himself? And then in spite of that environment, and this has helped me as an individual, knowing that again, my individual relationship with God matters. My individual relationship with Christ matters. Because in this church that is called dead, look what it says in verse 4. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And it's interesting to me 
How again, even local groups of the Lord's people have all sorts of problems. The first response is not to bail out. The first response is not to just take your ball and go home, go somewhere else. I mean, I'm just amazed every time I read 1 Corinthians. All the problems they had. And Paul didn't say, you have so many problems, you just need to, to, to stop. No, he says, you need to correct these things and work this out and be of one mind. To me, that's encouraging and fascinating. In verse 7 of chapter 3, it talks about the church in Philadelphia, which is called the Faithful Church. It says in verse 7, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Can a church in Ontario be like that example of the Church of Philadelphia? Where we're not going to deny the Lord's name? Where we're going to keep the word of the Lord? We certainly can do that. And then the last of these seven churches, and this is the one, this concept of lukewarm, verse 14, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And that's interesting to what caused that. So seven different groups, local groups of the Lord's people, each with their own set of circumstances, pressures, and problems. But what they all have in common here is they're all going to be persecuted. So it's interesting that Revelation starts that way. And then it goes into the trials they're going to suffer. How are you going to suffer through those trials and difficulties of life if the group you're a part of can't even resolve its problems? Can't even get along? Again, that's not the intent of a local group of the Lord's people. We need to keep in mind who we're representing and what name we proclaim to have. All right, rapidly in the final couple minutes, Romans chapter 1. And again, I want you to put yourself, this is the capital of the Roman Empire. This is no longer the period of the Roman Republic. This is the Roman Emperor period where you have Caesars taking place. Starting with Julius Caesar, then his son Augustus Caesar, and we know their power and how they wanted to be treated as a deity. Imagine living in that environment. It says in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So here are those made up mostly of Gentiles, who are called to be saints. Who have a local group of the Lord's people in the capital of the most evil empire that existed at the time and possibly in the history of mankind. What are they called in the book of Revelation? Babylon. To reference how evil this nation is. Yet in verse 8, Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. 
So here's a local group of the Lord's people because Rome was the center of a lot of activity. People are visiting Rome. They're hearing about this local group of the Lord's people and they're going back to wherever they came from and saying there's a faithful group of people in Rome. Their light was shining. And Paul says throughout the whole world. And remember again that travel was a lot different back then but it's, it's pretty interesting to think about. Continuing on, it says in Let's go to verse 10. Make a request if by some means, now at last, I find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established. That is, I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. So Paul having this close relationship with that group there as he's teaching them. And then, because again of time, Verse 14, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Wait a second, I I thought this local group in Rome were already saints. They were already Christians. But yet Paul says, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So he's preaching to the non-Christians, but he's also preaching to the church that's there. In other words, they knew that Christ was the Messiah. They had responded to it. As we could tell later on in Romans chapter 6, when Paul says, we've all been baptized. But yet there was still more to learn about the gospel. There was still more growth that had to take place. And Paul had this desire to see them face to face. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we already referenced this verse, but let's look at verse 2 again. To the church which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who are in every place, call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So here's a church of God at Corinth. As we read through 1 Corinthians, they certainly didn't act like a church of God, did they? They had a lot of problems, and they had to correct them. They were not going to be permitted to remain in that state and be acceptable. They were in sin, they needed to clean that up. But notice it used the word sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified, set apart. You're holy. You're separate, separate from the world. Going down to verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him. So in other words, they had the information and resources they needed. So what they were doing was not because of what Paul had taught them or because that's what God willed they do, but because of their own choices. It continues to say, utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly awaiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's going to be more revealed to them. And there's certainly going to be a lot of teaching that's revealed through their failures, things that they needed to correct. And then we go down to verse 10. Now this is a local group of the Lord's people, right? Verse 10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. So here's a local group of the Lord's people that's all over the place. We know about all the different problems they had going on at Corinth. But the expectation was they'd be of the same mind and the same judgment. 
the universal body, same mind, same judgment, but also this local group of the Lord's people. And we know through history about all the different things that could give, uh, divide local groups of Lord's people. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Notice something that's added here. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints, who are in all of Acacia. So now, it's not just referencing that specific local group, but other groups in that area as well. And, but it's being sent to the church at Corinth. We, and we know that 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about the corrections they, they made. But isn't it interesting that during that time, it was through them that this letter was delivered, that they also delivered the message to other churches throughout the region? Pretty impressive. God is able to work His will through whatever circumstances He's given. Even a church that's had trouble and struggle, He's able to reveal what He wants known to Him, as Paul wrote with the guidance of the Holy Spirit and made that message known. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. So, several different groups. And what problem were they having? They are being impacted by, we talk about influence, the Judaizing teachers. And in verse 6, Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you to the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Here is a local group that's being exposed to the gospel being perverted. And he calls them, saying, you're turning away so quickly from it. Later on in the epistle, he talks about them being foolish. Oh, foolish Galatians. Because they're turning away from the true gospel. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle to Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to remember, this was written several years before the update we get on the church at Ephesus in Revelation. We read earlier from Acts about the Ephesian elders being exhorted. And even if you go back to that Revelation account, let's remember what they're commended for. In chapter 2, verse 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. So apparently, they took from the lesson several years later and are still applying them from Paul with the fact that they are on the watch. But as we indicated earlier, verse 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And so at the time when this is written in Ephesians chapter 1, they are called faithful. When we get to Revelation, the second chapter, they are standing for the truth, but they need to correct. They need to go back to their first love. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. So here's a group that's being acknowledged, but also the leadership of the group. And we could take a look at 1 Timothy, and we could take a look at Titus and see that the local group, body of the Lord's people, the intent was to have leadership. 
to have elders, to have deacons, to perform the task that God gave them. Not something made up by a local group where let's come up with a board of directors and let's have a church president, none of which has any type of authority from the New Testament. But we have the ability to follow what God wants us to do in terms of how it is structured. And then it said by Paul, verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making request for you with all joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. This group in Philippi, they were all in. They had fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. We know about the Philippian jailer. We know about the circumstances that existed where Paul and Silas are singing until about midnight. And we can go back to Acts and see how that local group started. And now we can read about it years later. Colossians chapter 1 verse 1. Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy our brother. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Again, called faithful saints. Now take a look at verse 3. We give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus, praying always for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Heard about love? So it wasn't those in Colossae saying, look at all the stuff we're doing, Paul. How, how were they known? They were known by their what? Their works. Which demonstrated the love that they had for God and for Christ and for their brethren. Take a look again. Your love of all the saints. And the fact that we have those who are going through all sorts of things in other parts of the world. Christians we know. And do we pray for them? Do we pray for their local groups? Do we pray for their work? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election uh, by God. For our gospel did not only come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. So here they are in much affliction, but they're receiving the instruction and they are responding to it. They are following it. Again, what would be said about our local group here? In 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. It says in chapter 1 verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you brethren. As is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly. Here is a local group of the Lord's people. Whose faith is growing exceedingly. We know about individuals like Timothy and Titus and others who were responsible for helping local groups go. We know that Timothy was left on in Ephesus. We know that Titus, and you know what he was told to do there. If we take a look at the qualifications for elders in Titus chapter 1, in verse 5, 
For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded. Now, what was the environment of Crete that Titus was left in, that the local groups had to deal with? Well, the Cretans were known as liars. That's what Paul said about them. And that was the environment in which Titus was expected to appoint elders in every city. In other words, the expectation was that local groups of the Lord's people would exist and continue to grow. As we conclude, James chapter 1, James, a bondservant of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. All over the place. 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, to the pilgrims of the dispersion. Now notice all the different groups that are mentioned here. In Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All these local groups of the Lord's people that existed even in a time of difficulty. Yet the local churches, the numbers were growing. And we should be encouraged by that. So let's conclude. What is the current condition of the Church of Christ in Ontario? Well, we're not the one who determines that. What measurement do we use? We use the Lord's measurement. And we try to figure out where are we. How would we be judged if Paul wrote us an epistle? What are our strengths of this local group? And let's continue to keep those things strong. But let's also honestly look at our weaknesses and see what we could do better. One I would suggest to you is evangelism. That we make an effort to not just be satisfied with the numbers we have here. And again, it's not about numbers in terms of we need to have so many people, so let's alter the gospel to get more people in. But I'm talking about us making a truly concerted effort to preach the gospel of Christ to others. Again, we know that on the day of Pentecost, a large number was preached to, a small number responded. But again, we never know by planting that seed the growth that's going to be produced. As Paul said, God gives the increase. And that's what we need to remember. So each of us as individuals think about what can I do as an individual member of this local group in Ontario to contribute to the work and to make us acceptable and right before God. Before joining to a group of the Lord's people, we know that we must first join the universal church that outside of Christ, we don't have a relationship with God. The gospel call gives us access. As was read by Clay in Romans chapter 5, through his blood, we are brought near, we are redeemed. Let us remember that. If you're here this morning and you're outside of Christ, that needs to be corrected because we don't know how much time you have. You need to consider your spiritual state before God this morning. If you're someone who claims to be a Christian, a disciple, but have fallen short, know you can do better, need something that needs to be corrected, pray to God and He will forgive you. If it's something of a public nature or something we can assist you with, then let us know.
Because again, what's the intent of this local group? The intent is we teach and encourage and edify and even rebuke one another. So all of us can be in heaven together eternally when this life is over. Because that's what God offered through his son. If you have a need, please come forward as we stand and sing.